Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and all things modern culture. I'm your host, Mindy Chang, and thanks so much for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you're doing well and staying healthy and safe. Hope you're washing your hands, drinking water, taking your vitamins, exercising, sleeping, and social distancing. You know the drill. This is life. This is life in 2020 onward. Um, So yeah, I hope you're taking all the precautions to take care of yourselves and your loved ones. And together, we will get through this. It's been a very crazy time. If you guys are doing really well and connecting with friends and cooking and sleeping and taking time to do self-care and self-love, I love it. And I'm right there with you. And if you're also feeling anxious and isolated and worried or, I don't know, feeling like you're losing your mind a little bit, (laughs) right there with you too. It has definitely been a, a journey. So we're all doing the best that we can. The thing is that we got to keep on moving forward, get up each day, do the very best we can. Some days are going to be better than others. Just accept it. Do your best and move on. Be there for each other. Um, I hope you're wearing a mask when you go outside too because I'm in LA and there's a lot of people who are not and it's starting to grind my gears a bit. Well, this week's episode, I am really excited to share because it is with one of the bright minds of the future, in my opinion. Uh, I get to sit down with my girl, Taon Kim. And Taon is the co-host of Bamboo and Glass podcast. But um, I didn't get to know her necessarily through that. I know her because she went to my alma mater and we actually are from the same little town in Northern California from Pleasanton. And she went to school with my little brother. So there's a generational gap, but I love it. And she's super, super bright, so smart and so driven. Um, She is a software developer for Google turned filmmaker. She just got accepted to film school. So it's been such a joy for me to get to know her, her mind, and answer any questions that she has and be as good of a big sister as I can be. And for this episode, we definitely wanted to take a moment to have Tan catch up with me, but she she was actually the one that came up with some really great questions about career transitions, just trying to understand how I got from point A to point where am I? H, maybe, um, in my career and how all those challenges were overcome and everything in between. My mentality, my failures and triumphs. And in that, I get to know Tan too, because again, I just think that she and her generation really are the ones that are going to make a significant impact in how the world continues to turn. So it's a little heart to heart between generations. Definitely inspired by the hashtag me at 20, which was the hashtag on Twitter that was trending for a bit. Everyone just kind of reflecting on mostly their terrible photos and haircuts from yesteryear and some bad decisions, which is hilarious. But in this time of self-reflection, I think it's really good to just look back for a second, you know, not stay in the past, but to look back and reflect and and figure out how did I even get here and appreciate that and learn from that. I think there's a lot that we can 
you know, what, what's the word? Excavate from, from the ruins, if you will. So this was just a really great conversation. I do hope that you go check out Bamboo and Glass, uh, Town and Sophia. They are such great hosts. And yeah, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Please sidebar, fill out the census. If you live in the United States, go to census2020.gov and handle that. Uh, only takes a few minutes. You could do it online over the phone. You can do it, go do it, go do it. And also support your local businesses, be there for each other. I love all of you. Okay. So without further ado, this is me at 20 with Tom Kim from Bamboo and Glass. Enjoy. Haven't done much. So take what I got. Let it all up. How are you doing, Miss Tan? I am doing well, given all the circumstances. How are you doing, Minji? Oh, splendid. <laughs> really? I actually splendid, or? Uh, for the most part, yeah. No, I'd mm-hmm. say, you know, grand scheme of things, it's overall good. Having mm-hmm. some dips. I had a moment last week where mm-hmm. it all hit me. Mm-hmm. That was fun. How are you? You're working right now, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am a software engineer by trade. And so I have just kind of made my own little setup with like a monitor and a laptop to do all my work. But definitely the motivation has been a little bit low on the low end. Mm-hmm. Not going to lie. It's definitely just a lot harder to be productive at home when I can't just go up to my coworkers, like up to their desk to ask questions, especially since I'm still kind of new to the team. Mm. Uh, so I've just been trying to adjust to that and get on video calls as much as possible. But then there's some days where I end the day and I feel like I've just talked the entire time because I was just asking questions left and right and trying to grab people whenever they were available. Yeah. So yeah, the weekend is definitely so much needed for me as rest. <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean... Mm-hmm. It's just such an interesting environment because we're shifting, we're shifting lifestyle like completely. Yeah. And I actually mm-hmm. was listening to, do you know who Esther Perel is? Yes. Mm-hmm. I love her. I think she's wonderful. And she's done so many great lectures and podcasts and stuff on like sexuality and relationships. But mm-hmm. she's basically been like, I feel like her, Brene Brown, <laughs> and at least in like American culture and like, who Joe Rogan and Tim mm-hmm. Ferriss, like these are the key people that everyone kind of turns to like mom and dad, what's mm-hmm. going on and how do we deal with this? But Esther Perel was um, doing this whole, uh, how do we deal with our new, how do we create relationships with our new circumstances? Like mm-hmm. relational something. Anyway, I should find the proper title, but it was really, really good. <laughs> but it was just interesting that she's saying it's not just about people, it's about space and it's about mm. our dwellings and that our, you know, our homes are now our offices and our offices are now like, you know, is the dining room for food or Mm -hmm. is all that stuff. And it was really interesting to get more nitty gritty about how everybody is dealing with all of this. Yeah. I think space is so important. Like you need to have, you need to have a separation between your workplace and your sleeping space. Mm Because I know that it's, I remember in college, I would always like work in my bed and that just ended up causing me a lot of insomnia because I was just always thinking about work even when I was in bed. Mm -hmm. And so I have to do the mental game of getting dressed as if I am going to work. I have some coworkers who actually put on their shoes apparently at home. I don't do that because I'm Asian. I don't want to wear my <laughs> shoes indoors, but I at least try to get dressed. 
so that I feel a little bit more put together, a little bit less like a slob. So that's kind of what I've been doing to try to like trick my brain into thinking I'm going to work because I don't have the commute of like listening to a podcast and getting in my car and then parking in and getting food. Like I don't have that routine anymore. So yeah, good mm-hmm. for you. That's I. I mean, mentally, I've been thinking like, hey, I should probably put on regular pants once in a while <laughs> because I've you know my life. I I work at home and I've been doing this whole yeah. freelance life, but mm-hmm. in general, so even before COVID, it was always. Like, mm-hmm. I should figure out a process to kind of jumpstart my day to shift gears and like really mm-hmm. enter the mentality of a work day. But good for yeah. you, Tan. And you're, you're honestly like, I don't know. I've, I've already, I probably have already said this to you. If I haven't said it to you, I've at least thought it, but I'm like, I want to grow up to be like Tan. You're very. What? No, what? no. I, I, I think I want to grow up to be Minji. Yeah. What are you talking about? Anyway, I just think I, <laughs> I can already tell from, from what you share with me. You have a really good head on your mm. shoulders and it's, it's not easy to just switch gears like that. And that's what I've mm-hmm. been acknowledging for myself and for mm-hmm. everyone. You know, I think yeah. we need to, in a way, give ourselves a break because it's, it's a hard switch. It's a big switch, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to kind of just, like, I think the hard, at first, my first week working from home was really hard because I felt like I had to maintain that same level of productivity that there wasn't really any immediate changes to my work itself. And so I felt like I had the pressure of continuing to output just as much, but having conversations with my coworkers and my lead, they're like, no, like we have to acknowledge that this is like a big adjustment to make. And this is something that is going to take time. It's not something that will just be resolved by a little pep talk of like, look at the silver linings and try Mm -hmm. to think of everything in a positive light. So Right. That's Mm -hmm. good. I mean, I'm very much a believer in being a straight shooter, not necessarily making it worse, but not always making it better. There's always a silver lining to everything. And I believe mm-hmm. most things are, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Every good could be bad and every bad can be good. But uh, for the most part, but I mm-hmm. sometimes I think right now we're recognizing the importance of just like acknowledging what it is and not mm-hmm. and move from there. You're just like, yeah. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And like, let's figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to acknowledge if we're going to call it holidays for what it is i'm curious how long have you been in the workforce now uh so i graduated from my master's in 2018 so i started full-time work september 2018 got it like i guess a a little over a year and a half now so i just want to acknowledge that because i feel like again for everybody who's dealing with all of this everything at their own at their own specific experience and lifestyle and work, everything. Um, this is, I don't know. There's part of me that's just baffled at how much your generation, and this is what this conversation centered on, is mm-hmm. dealing with and will have to deal with. I mean, having entered mm-hmm. a workforce and not having been in one for that long, and then all of a sudden yeah. everything's been turned on its head. And it was kind of like that for my generation because for me um, – when I graduated in 2008, because I took an extra oh, year. the recession was there was happening. It was a big, big kick in the butt right after I graduated. Mm. So I, again, I'm very, very lucky. I acknowledge my good fortune that it didn't hit me as much as it hit my friends like the following yeah. year. 
yeah, I have friends who are like in like seniors in college right now and mm-hmm. or people who are younger and going to, they were supposed to do internships this summer and those internships are getting canceled. Mm-hmm. I know friends who because I went to Stanford and so there's like a whole tech startup culture that people are really interested in getting really into. And I have friends who just started at like these great startups and they're starting to lay off people, which just really sucks because it seemed to be, I think the outlook originally was that these are such exciting places to get to see them in their early stages and to be an integral part of the impact that they'll end up making. But now it's people are kind of like second guessing this and thinking, oh, maybe I should try to, maybe I should have gone to a more stable, like bigger tech conglomerate maybe so that I could think about my financial stability, especially with all the changes that are happening. But also like, how are they supposed to know in the end that right. that was going to happen? No one so, knew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a tough spot to be in. And mm-hmm. there's varying levels of, uh, well, I, I genuinely think that it's just safe to say no one was prepared for this. Yeah, not at all. Uh, mm-hmm. No one was really prepared for this. So to whatever degree we are going to sit and be like, oh my gosh, I should have done this. There's like so many coulda, shoulda, wouldas, right? In life. Yeah, we and can s- only move forward from here right, at this point. Right, right. And so... um in the spirit of me at 20, which is like this huge, ridiculous, amazing <laughs> hashtag that is, has taken over Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. we were inspired to have this conversation in town. I've been able to get to know you, um, mm-hmm. over the last, what is it, a year now? Maybe. Yeah. About a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just knowing your story and you're from Pleasanton too. And I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, I remember being, like look finding you because I'm friends with your little brother yeah. and being so inspired because I was like, Oh, I had no idea anyone from my hometown of Pleasanton, California was doing stuff in the Asian American entertainment industry. And so that was just so cool to see. I guess that representation, not just an Asian American, but an Asian American from a small town in the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, all the things. We get as niche as possible. Yeah, thank you. I mm-hmm. it's uh I credit Pleasanton a lot in, in terms of my uh identity awakening because mm-hmm. moving there was a big culture shock for me at the time. Oh, oh wait, where did you move there from? Cupertino. Oh, okay. I mm-hmm. see. So Dennis was a little kid at the time. So mm-hmm. he he grew up in Pleasanton. I did not, you know, well, I did mm-hmm. after middle school. So that's a Okay. What was the cultural shock that you experienced? Was it because I know Cupertino has like a pretty big Asian population there and Pleasanton's a little less, but yes, for sure. Was that the main thing? Oh, it was was mainly, honestly, the most obvious and the most, uh, like in my face was the whiteness of of the town. And I want to put things like, I love Pleasanton. I'm glad that I moved and I I really appreciate everything I experienced and learned there. It's honestly one of my favorite places because it it is home to me. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the time when I was 13 years old, it's uh, it's, (laughs) it was 98. So it was like peak AZN pride time. So Mm. not only did I move from a very diverse area, Cupertino at the time was just diverse in every way, like Mm -hmm. Asian, Latinx, uh, Mm -hmm. black community, not mm. as much as like other parts of the Bay Area for sure, but we had uh African American students there. We had everybody and white kids. Yeah. Like everyone was there. Um mm-hmm. I had friends who were Nicaraguan American. I had friends mm. who are like Jewish. I you know, it was very, very broad. Um, tons of Asian Americans. So that was what I was used to. And it was the Asian Pride time. So there was like peak 
uh, identity pride and then to mm. to pluck a 13 year old which is also peak insecure and peak uh yeah snark- <laughs> snarky and chip on your shoulder kind of moment yeah mm-hmm. to move that to like literally i thought i walked onto the set of pleasantville from the, wow. mo- from the movie mm-hmm. and i just was really not ready Wow, that's so funny because when I moved to Pleasant, because I moved to Pleasanton when I was also 13, actually. Ah. And yeah, before that, I was in San Ramon for a year. And then before that, I was moving cross country from upstate New York. And my experience in upstate New York was I was like one of three Asians at my school. Mm -hmm. And it was predominantly a white school. And then I came to San Ramon and all of a sudden there's so many Asians and I didn't really know how to comprehend this because I had internalized all the stereotypes of Asians are supposed to be smart and like good at math and science and people pretty much really only befriended me in elementary school and middle school because I was good at homework and they would ask me for help Mm. and then all of a sudden moving to California all of a sudden everyone else kind of embodied that same identity quote unquote as I did and all of a sudden I just didn't know who I was anymore and right. what I what what made me stand out I guess or made me unique compared to other people right so that was really hard mm-hmm. that is a very it is as much as I want to credit my 13 year old self of like how self-conscious in like a good way that I was like how mm-hmm. awakened I was to myself it really is a very confusing time like I don't want to give yeah. myself too much credit everybody's <laughs> navigating so many weird things and relating to their surroundings in such a weird way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. as grown adults, we can look back and be like, that all makes sense. But at the time, you're just like, what is all this? Yeah. You're like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot of chaos. And mm-hmm. to be honest, like even when you were bringing up this conversation, which I adore you for and thank you um, and suggesting that we have a conversation about the generational differences, even me looking back at 20 it's kind of the same feeling as like when I look back at 13 and I was like, oh, dear God. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was yeah, like, it's oh, crazy honey, to think, you thought yeah. you knew so much. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy to think that for me 10 years ago, I was like my in my freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I... I was so young and so immature and so naive. And I've done a lot. I'm glad I've done a lot of growing in the last decade for sure. Oh, honey, aren't we all? That's good. Yeah. That's a, it's a good feeling. I mean, as much as you can like sit there and be embarrassed, which is normal, but it's also mm-hmm. a really good reflection to be like, I've come a long way. I'm a mm-hmm. very different person. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. God. <laughs> Power to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what it, what it, I'm curious to know, for starters, first of all, how are Mm -hmm. you feeling being somebody that is early in their career? You're also doing a huge career switch. Congratulations. You got into film school, which I'm so happy and so proud of you for. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) How is this going for you? Because, you know, there's, there's different ways that we're all dealing with fear or panic or dread or whatever it is, right? Because um, mm-hmm. we're all at different stages in our in our lives, how are you feeling being someone that's pretty early on in in their professional journey? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have to say it took a very very long time for me to get to the point of making this career change. Albeit, like it seems like it's 
been a very short time because I've only been working for like a year and a half to two years at this point. Mm -hmm. But I think if you count up even like internships that I had while I was in school and getting exposure to like the tech industry as well, I feel like if you add that all, it's sort of like five years of experience at that point. Mm -hmm. And I think I started off just really not knowing, like I wanted to college as a pre-med as many of us do actually. (laughs) And I took a chemistry class at school and was horrendous at it. And I was like, okay, maybe this is not exactly what I should be doing or what is best for me. And the default was that my dad suggested that I consider computer science. And luckily, uh, Stanford has a great introductory computer science program. And so I got hooked into it from the beginning because I saw all the wonderful applications of it. Um, and so it was honestly kind of a practical solution to my confusion of I don't know what to do in my life because this career path at least allows me to go in without much more schooling outside of college and it's still a financially stable job. And so I went in, but then as I was continuously exploring kind of like the nebulous area of computer science of like computer graphics, UX design, artificial intelligence, I just really wasn't quite finding my niche in that and really finding myself drawn to like I think of it as passion is something you spend your outside time on as well not just things that you do in your job Mm. and so I noticed and 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 this is also along with the rise of like seeing a lot of you Asian American YouTubers and seeing a lot more media presence of Asian Americans I realized that that was really something I was really getting excited about getting to talk to like Wong Fu or like inviting Wong Fu to campus and having them show their movie, Everything Before Us, or whether it was being involved in the Asian American community at school and being an activist and getting them excited about seeing stories that they resonate with on screen. And honestly, though, I just grew up not really seeing filmmaking as a potential career choice just because I had no idea it was even a possibility in the first place like it was never something my parents ever talked to me about even though like our favorite pastime is to watch Korean dramas Mm -hmm. together for example um and when I ended up discovering filmmaking through a class and realized I actually enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I remember bringing up the topic at first with my parents and they were kind of like, why would you waste your money and your energy on this? Like, This should just be like a fun little thing you do on the side that shouldn't take up a ton of expenses and shouldn't take up a ton of time. And it was funny because they had always been very hard on me on my studies as I was growing up. And all of a sudden, like once I started working, they were like, you need to go hang out with your friends more. Why are you working on these videos in the first place? (laughs) And so... I think what I ended up having to do was because I had the resolve of, okay, filmmaking is something I'm really passionate about. I have to hold my, I am the only person who can hold myself accountable to grow in the craft. And so while I was working my first year, I went out of my way to try to meet as many people as I could in New York City, which was where I was at at the moment. And I just tried to keep making videos and like one opportunity led to another. I ended up doing the Jubilee Film Fellowship this past summer, which allowed me to work with a lot of people who had been set on filmmaking as their career paths for a long time. And that was just the most inspirational thing. And so I was like, okay, I need to, At by the end of the fellowship, I decided that, okay, this is the time for me to make the change and like just bite the bullet and apply to schools because school will at least give me that opportunity and that familiar space again to learn and experiment and make mistakes. 
And honestly, I, I remember having some hesitation because I had heard other people talk about how, oh, maybe you should wait until you're like in your late 20s because that's when most people go to film school. And I remember talking to the director of the fellowship and voicing these concerns. And she was like, but if you know you want to do it, why wait? Like, there's no reason to wait. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you're completely right. And so I was like, you know what? My biggest regrets are always things that I don't go after. It's always me missing opportunities. And so if I have the time and if I have the effort, if I can put in the effort, why not? And so I just applied, literally didn't think much about just like, okay, I've done everything I could. I've left it up to into, into the hands of the admissions committee and very, very lucky to finally hear back and know that I got accepted. And I was like, you know what? This is a sign. I'm just going to go. Even though people might look at my decision and say that you didn't spend enough time in the workforce, maybe you should have gotten more work experience. I definitely have learned so much in the last two years and also from my internships that I think that they will continue to be applicable. And I think being in school doesn't mean my learning stops all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It's the complete opposite. I'm I'm going to school so that I can learn even more and invest more and more of my energy into something that I really want to improve in and grow in. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of my thought process as all of this was happening. Um, There is a part of me with this pandemic that has kind of made me reflect a little bit more and had some second thoughts about, oh, is this the right time? But I think that just kind of shows you that there's never the right time to be doing things. And you just have to sometimes bite the bullet and just do it in the first place. So, yeah. Well, yeah. Kudos to you. I mean, it, it is, it is a big decision you made. And so, yeah. I mean, I feel like you also made such a big decision. Like I remember listening to your episode about how like you studied, uh, was it molecular biology in college and you ended up deciding to not go into that outside, like right out of graduating. You actually chose to go work at collaboration, which I would imagine if I were in that position, I would have had a very hard time talking to my family or maybe even my loved ones about that, like having that misconnection between my studies and the first job that I get. Right. I don't know if you felt that way at all when you were in that position. Well, it actually wasn't my first job because um, I went from molecular cell biology into public health because I felt mm-hmm. when I found uh, social sciences or it found me, if you will, um, mm-hmm. it was like another great awakening. I was like, oh, my God, this is this is what's been missing from my life. It was sociology all along. But mm-hmm. I, I'm just like really curious about people. I'm very fascinated by how the human brain works, why we make the Mm. choices that we do, why we're so emotional and what influences us to do X, Y, and Z. So Mm -hmm. that was a hard switch from like the hard, hard science to the hard and soft. I don't know, like whatever you want to call it, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, the social sciences. So I actually uh, did work in public health for a few years Mm-hmm. after college um, because during my super senior year, I spent a, a semester abroad. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after I spent a semester abroad, I had my last semester at Berkeley and I did a student. I don't know. See, this is how old I am. I don't remember the name. It was a student <laughs> work study program. So I was okay. like getting paid uh, through a nonprofit that did public health work and I ended up getting hired by them. So I actually mm-hmm. worked full time for a public health nonprofit in Oakland called Prevention Institute and shouts to Prince. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they 
I still am tight with my old boss to this day. Mm -hmm. And she was my boss when I was Mm -hmm. your age, you know, like, um, she hires me. I do a public speaking training with her. She's the executive director of a different nonprofit down in San Diego. And she hires me every January to come teach her like amazing teenage. They're like sophomores and juniors in San Diego Mm -hmm. and I teach them public speaking. So that's really cool. But like, again, yeah, the, the, the relationships you make at any point, they have so many different ways of coming back into your life and like, yeah, definitely. Like no matter how different the spheres are or the industries are, like I've been thinking a lot about how I'm very grateful for my current manager because he has really been an example of someone who really uplifts diversity and inclusion. And he does whatever he can to make sure his reports feel psychologically safe in the spaces that we're working in. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's just something I'm taking away to now like future workplaces to kind of see like, what are the like qualities of a manager that I am looking for in a future job? Good. Because before working, like I had no idea what to even look for in a manager. So for sure. definitely there's always lessons to be learned. Absolutely. And those relationships become super, super vital. And they teach you a lot because this is what my parents acknowledged to me. At least my dad acknowledged to me when I was pretty young. He was mm-hmm. He acknowledged... Uh, that he's not my only teacher. You know, he's my parent, mm-hmm. but he's like, the world is your teacher. And he, mm-hmm. that's also also how he justified being really, really strict and really mm-hmm. mean yeah. sometimes. Cause he was just like, I can't control what you learn out there, but mm-hmm. I can control what happens in this household. And so mm-hmm. part of me actually really respects that because I think there's, I don't know, the pendulum swings and I, I'm, not, I'm not a parent, but I, I definitely know of parenting that's a little lax and there's consequences mm-hmm. to that. But anyway, um, going back to your original question of like how I decided to make those switches or um, address that with my loved ones, it was actually a very gradual situation. And mm-hmm. I feel like you know, in hindsight, it can feel like, oh, this was like a really significant milestone. This was the day that I switched. And this is the day that I knew. For Mm me, um, everything kind of blends a bit. I mean, I can distinguish, oh, this was the period of time in which I went through this significant growth. But what Mm -hmm. I can say is none of these realizations were like life altering and defining in that moment. There were moments that added up and over time gave me a very financial, a foundational (laughs) understanding that I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this means a lot to me. Ooh, this is something I cannot stop thinking about. Yeah. It's like patterns that you recognize and are able to pinpoint for yourself. That's when it all clicks for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And eventually there's no, sometimes I'm not saying, at least for me, it was not like a one aha moment. Uh, mm-hmm. But there were a series of aha moments that led me to make that leap. And if I look in hindsight, like leaving for collaboration was super gradual because mm-hmm. I started volunteering for that while I was working um, full time after college and mm-hmm. I was working a nonprofit job. And so it was a completely like extracurricular activity. And mm-hmm. even at that, my parents, my dad was very vocally annoyed at that. He's like, mm-hmm. why are you spending mm-hmm. all your time doing that? Like, who cares? But I was essentially becoming a producer in 2009, which wasn't even the beginning because I'd been producing since high school because at Amador, I was doing homecoming and prom and mm. ASB. So I, I essentially equate that with being a producer. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just a long time coming, you know, and 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 I had the job to run collaboration offered to me in 2012 and I didn't take it until 2013. Mm. And there's a lot of different things that I juggled in my mind and had to really evaluate 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Before I could make that decision. And then I totally made it without telling my parents. <laughs> oh, really? I, I decided <laughs> and I didn't consult them basically, which mm. I don't, I mean, in my life in general, I'm very like, I don't regret that because I learned from it. Right. I'm that kind of person. Mm-hmm. But I do mm-hmm. wonder, I was like, how would it have gone if I had, if I had opened up that idea to my parents and then made the decision and asked for their advice? Mm-hmm. We just didn't have that kind of relationship. Yeah, no, I completely resonate with that. I think I th- I think it's because we're taught to see our parents as authority figures when we're very young. And so it's hard to ever see them as like a friend, for example, where you can be very vulnerable and have like a back and forth and have your parents like make a suggestion or recommendation and know that they won't be upset with you for not taking their recommendation in the first place. Like mm-hmm. I definitely felt that way. Uh, like everything my parents said, like my mom would also always say the same things of you have to like, before you make a big decision, you have to run it by us. By us. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, but it's just like going to take a really long time for me to explain. And you don't really know where I'm coming from, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but actually for me, I think what has really improved since I graduated was, so my first team that I worked on, was actually sort of chaotic. And a lot of people, pretty much everyone who I started on the team with ended up leaving after a year. Mm. And I was the second to last person to leave. So it was overall not a super healthy work environment for a lot of us. And for me, I being in my first year working, I had no idea whether this was just a me thing or whether it was a common thing that was happening or if it like, no, I didn't know who to validate this experience with. Mm. And I think during that time, I was just growing more and more distant from my parents because I didn't want to tell them that anything was wrong because their immediate reaction to me complaining about work would be like, well, you just got to suck it up and like, it'll get better as time goes on. Like if as long as you believe it, believe it'll be better, it'll end up becoming better. And I'm like, okay, but that's not really what I want to hear. And so (laughs) I don't, I stopped bringing things up. And I think my parents, I think this is where parents are definitely like, they are, they're so much smarter than kids give, give them credit for. Yes. Uh, like they can pick up on cues. They just choose not to push on it a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in April, last April, I ended up getting a chance to see my parents again in person. We went to London together and all of a sudden they kind of sat me down and they were like, Hey, uh, if you are interested into looking into another job, just check your contract. Like just check your contract with the company and check if you have to pay back any finances. And I was like, wait, what the heck? Like I had not ever brought up the idea of moving jobs or leaving the company in the first place. And it was in a way very gratifying that they had offered up that option to me Mm -hmm. saying that, Hey, I, I'm okay with this because I can tell you're not happy where you are right now. And I want you to be happy. And I think since then, my relationship with my parents has dramatically improved for sure. But That's that so I, nice. I could not have, yeah, I couldn't have done that if that had happened like while I was in college or in high school for sure. <laughs> right. And this is the, this is the thing that I've, I've been able to learn and hear from not just, you know, people younger than me, cause I am surrounded by a lot of people. Who, mm-hmm. who are younger than me in collaboration, but my peers and older people as well. Everyone's mm-hmm. relationships are so, so unique because we as individuals are so unique in the way that we yeah. perceive things and the way we interpret things. And, you know, mm-hmm. what, what one person can get criticized as a child, it could like scar them the entire, for the entire rest of their life. 
kind of like mm-hmm. me. And then mm-hmm. for other person, it's just like, oh, they just said that thing. It didn't hurt my feelings. It genuinely doesn't. It just rolls off their back and it doesn't affect them the same, same way it would another person. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really interesting as well that you're, you're an only child, right? Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. And I have two brothers. And so, um, having even like the distinguishing factor of having brothers that I honestly, had a lot of anger since I was young about the double standards of like mm. the way that they were treated. I mean, mm-hmm. again, it's not all just good and bad or better or worse. I think some mm-hmm. ways my brother had it a lot worse, like being a boy and mm. having different expectations. You know, I, having experienced that too shifted my comprehension of the world, the way that I interpreted my parents, the the role that I assumed and that I believed I was supposed to play in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things and not consciously mm-hmm. you just kind of you adapt and you're you're like mm-hmm. oh oppa's upsetting mom dad like I have to be I have to make them happy like look at my straight A's mm-hmm. you know I was already mm-hmm. achievement oriented but it was an added layer for me psychologically to help alleviate the tension and to make mm-hmm. things less dramatic and it was a tough it was a tough tough moments of like how I grew up because there was a lot of drama there was a lot of fighting yeah. and a lot of pain. Um, mm-hmm. And I do feel for my parents because I'm like, holy crap, we are three individual human beings with yeah. three very unique personalities and learning capacities and lifestyles and preferences. Like, I don't know. I give so much more credit to parents. I, I appreciate that you say that because I'm not one yet, but even just having managed teams for like collab. Yeah. <laughs> everyone's different man everyone is very different no one operates the same exact way and it is a lot of work to mm-hmm. pick up on cues and to care yeah when you're already sure. just managing yourself and trying to survive. yeah I think we forget that parents like when they're raising their first child that is their first time ever mm-hmm. doing that role like they didn't get a practice run in any way yeah and it's definitely like a hard balance of like acknowledging and honoring that our parents did the best that they could for us, but also acknowledging that maybe some of the things that happened when we were, when we were really young, like still affect us to this day. And that's something that they might not be aware of because it had happened so long ago, but it has shaped who we are today, like 20, 30 years from like when we were really, really young. And yeah, I, you mentioned that I'm an only child and I guess, yeah, I've never, well I have never seen like a distinct comparison made between me and like a brother necessarily because my parents and I also moved around the U.S. a lot and so it was pretty much just the three of us alone all the time but I think there was a bit of pressure of needing to be better or needing to prove again that I'm even though I'm a girl I could still be the best Mm. Um, and so my parents did really they never really They always made sure that I worked really hard and I didn't use, didn't see being a girl as a crutch necessarily or as something that can knock me down. Mm. And, but I definitely had experiences where we would be in part of parts of like Korean communities and we, there would be other like boys or girl, Korean boys or girls who are the same year as me. And there would always be some sort of like, drama that would happen if like we're in the same class and there'd be like a little innate sense of competitiveness for sure Mm -hmm. and that was something that I don't think my family ever really handled healthily Mm -hmm. uh, because our 
because we would always end up leaving those towns in the end, like because we would move around all the time. And so it's always a question of like whether those relationships with those people were like broken in any way or if they had been resolved. Because as a kid, like how am I supposed to know like how to talk about like being a boy versus a girl and what kind of psychological effect that has on me or the or my friend necessarily. And I it wasn't until I grew up like as a high schooler and in college where I started noticing like a little bit more of that pressure of finding a partner. Mm. And it just kind of came out of nowhere because my mom had always been like, oh, you shouldn't date because you should focus on your studies because that is the most important thing. Like your value is basically equated to your accomplishments. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, now I'm supposed to make myself appealing to the because I'm straight, like the opposite sex. And I'm supposed to, in a way, like be submissive, even though I'd been taught my entire life to not be that way. Mm. And that my mom wanted to put me on blind dates like that. (laughs) I thought that was something that had only come from Korean dramas, honestly. And that was just so interesting to see how the moment I turned like 17 or 18 my mom's attitude or perspective of me changed from like okay I've done grooming her as like an accomplished young woman now I need to groom her in order to be like marriageable or dateable in some way and so that yeah that was just very wild um did you go on these blind dates would you entrust your mother with this no never (laughs) I remember oh my gosh Minji I I remember this one time, my mom, she was like, Tan, like, I heard about this. My, so you're my, you know, my church friend. And I'm like, okay, yeah, like the ajima. And then she, <laughs> she'd be like, yeah, that, that ajima knows, so, has a friend whose cousin's son goes to Stanford. <laughs> Paul also goes to Stanford, but apparently he, he's been in Kunde, the military for the past couple of years. And he was on television and he's really good looking. And because he goes to Stanford and he's good looking, you should go on a blind date with him. And I was like, no, that means he's like a lot older than me and I don't know him at all. Why would I go on a blind <laughs> date with him? And so luckily it never happened, but I ended up discovering, like, I remember I told one of my, uh, I think when I was a freshman, one of my senior friends about this, and they were like, oh my god, like, he's my year, and he's, like, so hot, blah, 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 and I was just like, okay, that was not the reaction I was going for when I was sharing this story. You're but... like, I have so many regrets now, why didn't I go yeah. for it? <laughs> I was like, the point wasn't his scale of attractiveness, the point was me having to go on this blind date, but luckily I haven't needed to go on that so far, uh, knock on wood, that won't happen for a while, but we'll see. <laughs> you, you've done well for yourself and you're, yeah. and you're happily mm-hmm. partnered up right now. And it's yeah. just an interesting thing because to me, I, I grew up very much a tomboy. So even proceeding, you know, getting to college or whatever, and this got me in a lot of trouble was like mm. just being boy crazy. You know, I'm a, I'm a, mm. I'm a hot blooded young woman. I had, <laughs> I had crushes really early on. So that always honestly, why I'm always so interested in talking about relationships well because I can see my entire life how much mm-hmm. how much for me the opposite sex played an influential factor in terms mm-hmm. of like the emotional impact the distraction the toxicity the inspiration yeah. like all mm-hmm. of the things like good and bad mm-hmm. right I think yeah. um that tender part of our hearts and that impressionable youth that we experience even you know as grown adults trust me there's mm-hmm. like it does it doesn't mean like just because you're older you get a lot wiser you know unfortunately mm-hmm. but it's such an integral part of our beings and also in terms of like life 
plans and life goals, Mm -hmm. it can be something that gets very much lost or romanticized or, you know, all the things it can, it just, it's such an influential thing and Mm -hmm. it can go haywire really quickly. It can devastate you and knock you on your butt way Mm -hmm. longer than you expected, you know, at Mm -hmm. a very inopportune time, right? When you're about to go to grad school or right when you get the right job opportunity. I mean, Mm -hmm. it plays a really big role. So, I'm glad mm-hmm. that you bring that up and I it's also very sweet and heartwarming because I'm sure your mom loves you to pieces and wants <laughs> you to set you up on blind dates because she wants to say like for all the other things, she wants to set you up for success. My yeah. mom is the worst blind date pitcher I have ever met. <laughs> and she literally tells me, she's like, Oh, Minji, so-and-so's friends, sisters, you know, son. He he is this and this, like accomplished in XYZ way, oh doctor and this and this, but he doesn't have any friends and no one like talk like no one he doesn't know anybody has no friends, but you, do you want to go out with him? And I'm like, do you understand <laughs> how you just pitch this person to me? Like, so they have no friends. So do they have any social skills? Do they are they what are they a terrible person? Are they a Trump supporter? Like, what is this? Why, <laughs> Why are you foisting this person on me? Don't you love me? And like I've mm-hmm. I've gotten in like joking arguments with my mom when she's mm-hmm. done that over my adult life. I just like mm-hmm. just stop talking. I love mm-hmm. you so much, but no. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like your relationship with your parents, like from the age of twenty up to where you are now, do you think it's gotten a lot better? Because when I feel like my mom was trying to set me up on these blind dates. I feel like she was doing it because she just didn't really know me anymore, right? Because I had been in college for a little bit at that point and that physical distance was the longest, was the biggest distance we had ever experienced. And that just led to me like gradually sharing less and less about my day-to-day life with her. Mm -hmm. And I think that was just in a way like her, like her trying to be a good mom and trying to have a positive impact in my life, yeah. but not really knowing how to go about doing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my heart goes out to, her. I imagine it'd be pretty difficult to relate, especially when you are that grown, right. And mm-hmm. you're a grown woman with a child and then they're in the most ambiguous, figure it out part of their lives. And, but yeah. I feel like at 20, you're idealizing a lot too, that you are forming coherent thoughts. You are, coming into like your view of the world, your stance, um, mm-hmm. maybe your party alignment, whatever, you know, there, there's a lot more passion and more data behind your beliefs too at that point. So I feel like mm-hmm. 20 is a very, for me was a very, um, I mean, in hindsight, I was still pretty immature, but in my mind at the time, I was like, oh, I'm way more grown now and I have mm-hmm. a better sense of who I am and I have all these ambitions and stuff. But mm-hmm. Like one caveat for me, and this is why I bring up the relationship thing earlier. I was just out of a really, really bad situation in my life at, at 20. Um, mm, at mm-hmm. 19, at the tail end of 19, I had, um, gotten out of a five year long abusive relationship that I had been mm-hmm. hiding from my parents, mm-hmm. um, for the entirety of those five years, though they actually did find out at certain points. And this is the saga that's going to eventually be written down into a show. Um, yes. So excited. <laughs> but I, I don't know. We'll see what I keep biogra- biolo- biographically. I can't make words right now. Biographically accurate and where I'm going to mm-hmm. like elaborate. But mm-hmm. um, in a nutshell, you know, I lied to my parents very mm-hmm. extensively. And th- there was Korean drama level drama. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. that I, I lived through and I can make light of that now, but I had put my family through a lot of hell and, mm. and 
this is what I'm reckoning with now in my mid thirties that I can also reflect on. Um, I'm reconciling a lot of things that happened that long ago, 15 years Mm -hmm. ago with my parents now. So, Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like the intensity of what was happening at the time I was 20 was extreme. It was very Mm -hmm. extreme. And, um, people go through different things in different lives. You know, you can avoid a huge dramatic moment in your twenties and then have your marriage fall apart. And you know what I mean? In your thirties or forties or whatever, things happen. Life is, life is crazy, right? For it never me, stops though. being crazy. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it, for me, it was at 20, at 19, 20, when everything did fall apart and blow up. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, having to bounce back from that was a lot. And mm-hmm. my parents, you know, I, I kind of, my perspective on a lot of that stuff is my family and my culture, my upbringing, all these different things. They were the problem and mm-hmm. they were also the cure in a in a very poetic, ironic way. Mm -hmm. So even though my parents, the way that they decided to handle things, the way that they um, parented me, the way that they were involved or not involved in my life did impact a lot of what happened to me as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And then ever since then, there's been a long healing process for me and for them, for us to build trust again. And Um, me just naturally, hopefully maturing over those years was mm-hmm. to recognize where I needed to have some grace towards my parents and mm-hmm. also ask more of them and to hold them accountable because I knew that it was really uncomfortable for them to talk about certain things. And to this yeah. day, there are certain things that I d- have chosen not to talk to my dad about yet. Mm-hmm. I have every intention of, but I've, I'm very uh, sensitive and intuitive in certain ways. I was like, it's not the right time. And it frustrates me that there are certain things that I feel like are blocked off from talking to my dad about in an honest fashion. But at least I have my mom and at least I have my older brother and my younger brother, even like I talked to Dennis, like Dennis knows a lot about me that I don't know if like a lot of younger brothers know about their sisters. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, in, in general, my family and definitely my parents, it's been a really big growth process. Mm -hmm. And when you're 20, um, you do have a lot of things figured out. I don't disempower 20 year olds cause they're 20. They do yeah. have a lot figured out, but you're mm-hmm. not done by any means. Yeah. There's still mm-hmm. a lot ahead, but it's no excuse to like make stupid decisions. This is also where I want to empower 20 year olds. There's no excuse mm-hmm. to make stupid ass decisions when you're 20 because you're like, well, I'm 20. I don't know better. I'm going to live my life. Like don't. <laughs> They also have like a gut and intuition. Like they probably know it's a stupid decision to yeah, do in the first people, place. We, like that's what I say about my 20-year-old self. I was like, girl, you knew. Like, <laughs> like if you – this is where I'm trying to be a better adult and own my decisions. But I was like, don't play dumb. You chose yeah. that and so own that decision. Say it was a mistake mm-hmm. if it was a mistake. But don't act like you didn't know because you knew. <laughs> yeah. That's real. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot of things I knew. There are some things I didn't know, and there are some things that I was very naive and too trusting and manipulated, and all the things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you feel like you are now a lot more? I don't want to say jaded, <laughs> but I guess the things that you look back on, and I guess the things that you took for granted or were really naive about, are would you say that you? are now a lot more cautious about like, maybe it's like people you trust opportunities you take up. Um, or are you still like, what is that balancing act with like still trying to like 
put that trust and belief in, I guess, humankind or people around you? Mm. You're an excellent, excellent question asker. That's a great question. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I'm jaded at the end of the day. It's weird. Mm. Like I've gone through some extreme, extremely, extremely bad things with really horrible people at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I don't, the compassionate side of me doesn't want to call them horrible people. I'm like, everyone has, everyone has good in them. But at the end of the day, there are some horrible people. Um, But counter to that, I've also met some of the best human beings, I think, walk this face Mm -hmm. of the earth. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I continue to meet amazing people. So Mm -hmm. I do think that there is some level of choice and I'm not saying it's easy, but it can be Mm -hmm. as simple as whatever you focus on, Mm-hmm. tends to be right mm-hmm. if you look for the bad things in life you're gonna find them and if you find the mm-hmm. good look for the good you will find them and for me I'm the part of me that's grateful for not only myself and for the people around me who helped me get out of a very bad situation was mm-hmm. that it gave me an extreme amount of gratitude for very mundane things that maybe people take for granted mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. case in point being my ability to make choices yeah. I have not made perfect choices. I've made a lot of very problematic, stupid, ignorant, dumb choices, selfish choices in my life since since I left that relationship since 20. But the the acknowledgement and the awareness that like I have agency in my own life was a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so that helps me not be jaded because even when things get bad and they have and they continue they will continue to be bad at certain points in my life. Um, it's a reminder, like, you also have control to to shift how this goes. Yeah. You know? I think that's a lot of my growth in the last couple years of, I think it was so easy. It, it's so easy for me to put the blame on other, like, external factors, right? Of mm-hmm. being like, oh, like, it's because this person was so awful that I can't get to where I want to be or, oh, like I'm stuck in this position like forever and I'm not going to be able to get myself out and there's nothing I can do about it. Mm -hmm. I think changing that mindset and thinking, okay, this happened. It really sucks. And I hate that it happened, but what do I, where do I go from here? What can I do to make the situation better? Whether it's make myself feel better in this current moment, whether it's leave the situation that is not good for me and is unhealthy for me or whether it's choosing to confront it and try to make make resolutions with the people that are involved I think that is something that is still I'm still trying to learn how to own my decisions for sure Mm -hmm. um but trying and I feel I don't know. I just think your what you just said just really resonates with me because that's something I just recently learned. Mm-hmm. And I really want to continue that growth of cho- making sure I think about how I can control my reaction and my response to things as well. Good for you. So I want to grow up to be like you, Tan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really empowering thing. It's also, it could honestly, on the suckier side, it it is a lot to grapple with when you accept responsibility for your life. Yeah. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not very easy. burdensome. Mm-hmm. It's brutal because you're just like, oh, that situation that was so terrible that destroyed me and destroyed other people. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had a significant part in that. That mm-hmm. sucks to like, it's again, way more convenient to mm-hmm. be like, well, like so-and-so and the government's like this and culture and society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is. It is all those things. I'm not taking away from that. And also, 
you were part of that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's been a uh, continuously tough pill to swallow. But mm-hmm. I feel like um, the more that you do it, I think you do wisen up because you just, it, it, once you, once you let the, the sucky feeling settle in a lot. So I learned mm-hmm. from all the bad situations, even with like professional choices that I made, yeah. um, you, your body and your instinct and your mind do its best, I think, to learn from it and to not repeat it just simply from like, you just don't want to feel sucky again. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's mm-hmm. not even like out of this, like, I want to just be a better person. It's maybe just like, nah, I just don't want to even deal with getting yelled at. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's so real. Yeah. I got yelled at so much when I was a kid. <laughs> did you, did you, did you ever have like a negative, um, negative situation at work from like, uh, a superior, like, a different figure. It sounds like you have a great manager now, but did you have like an oh aha moment? I mean, I used to cry like at least twice a week. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Like, and this is where it's so funny because I remember in that moment, I thought to myself that I was just so like, I'm just a too emotional of a person and I'm like no one would believe me in, if I talked about this. Um, and I think that's again where I'm trying to again empower myself as like, Hey, I'm, I am someone who's young and has less experience than others, but that doesn't invalidate the experiences that I'm having because I am not the only early in career person out there. Mm. And yeah, I, and it was always like so subtle. Like it's not this, cause I think when I was younger, the only authority figures I had around me were like teachers and parents. And I think my parents were definitely strict on me and their forms of like scolding and punishment were a lot more apparent and easy, like easier to pinpoint when it's like, Oh, I'm in trouble right now versus in work. It's a little bit more subtle of like little like comments here and there where you're like, Oh, wait, are they doubting my ability to get my work done? Mm. Uh, do they think like, do they think I'm complaining and I just don't know any better because I'm just a young person mm-hmm. or, Oh, would they say this to, for example, a cis older, like an older cis white man coworker? And, or is this something that they're just saying to me? Cause I'm a young woman of color and the only woman of color on my team. And so those thoughts would always like go through my head and I always be second guessing myself and always like, go down this mental spiral of, wait, is it just me? Is it other people who are experiencing this? And luckily, when I was finally able to open up the conversation with other folks who had left the team or who had worked with the team before, that's when they would tell me things like, yeah, your team is like a sinking ship or like, this team is a mess right now. Like, you're Mm. not the only person feeling this. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I feel like I wasted four or five months of my life just doubting myself the entire time. And I wish if I could go back, I wish I could have told my, I guess, one year younger self that, no, you weren't crazy. You were not being too emotional. Like there was a reason those tears were happening in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big, that's a big deal to, Mm -hmm. to recognize that. And, and then I think that, if I reflect back on what I was learning, you know, navigating college, figuring out majors, and mm-hmm. I was just wildly confused because I was like, <laughs> who set these rules? Because it yeah. felt like everybody was playing a game. This is maybe why I don't mm. like board games. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like in general, I don't like the feeling of like, everyone knows the rules to this and I don't. That's how I felt mm. at 20. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I didn't know what to pinpoint that on. Not even like blame, but just where yeah. I could identify things had gone awry. Like where where did yeah. this go wrong? And did I not mm-hmm. take a class that everybody else took? Because I just felt so lost personally. Yeah. No. And oh my gosh. Yeah, I completely relate to that. It was mm-hmm. it was very difficult for me to for someone who was achievement oriented and who was uh, very prideful. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, in certain ways, very like self-assured, it did not sit well with me that I felt that confused and that incompetent. Mm-hmm. Like I just was mm-hmm. like, how is everybody figuring out what the study guides were and da 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 And how mm-hmm. does everyone know which place to go? I don't even where are people finding this information? And to this day, Tan, I still feel that way about a lot of things. Like it mm-hmm. feels like this is where the perception and what we have as perceived experience and actual objective truth is very mm-hmm. important to identify because this is something that we're going to have to reconcile forever, whether you're 20, yeah. 30, 40, whatever. And I still think mm-hmm. there's lots of adults in America, in the world that are figuring that out. But like mm-hmm. our perception of what is versus what actually is, it might yeah. all be there at our disposal. And we're just not looking at it. You know, mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. everything that I needed to know at 20 was on the freaking first syllabus that we got the first day. And I just didn't care to read the ding page. You know, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, shut up. It's right there. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like you know what I mean? And yeah. and you just didn't know. And maybe during an orientation, someone said, hey, if you're confused about XYZ, talk to this person. And you just happened to be looking at your phone at that moment. So you weren't yeah. attentive. And you just missed that, that thing. But we mm-hmm. feel these things and we we feel so out of control, so behind, and it it can be paralyzing. And it's it's that feeling that I think um, really persisted a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I reflect back on that time in my life, it was a constant battle of like figuring it out and battling this feeling of like I don't have it figured out. I don't know what the heck's going on. And every and. It's not even just that. It's not that happening in a vacuum. It's that happening while you feel like everybody else has figured it out. Yeah, definitely. That's like the you thing feel that like feels stifled. You feel like you're the only one trying to sh- like struggling through everything. And everyone's just got to figure it out all of a sudden. Right. Like everyone mm-hmm. knew which place to go to. Everyone showed up at the right exam spot. Everyone knew which major to pick. And everyone yeah. knew how to do it. And they all knew how to juggle their credits. I'm like, well, I don't know. And I didn't know mm-hmm. I was this dumb compared to everybody else. But like, yeah. here we mm-hmm. are. So yeah. it's a lot of that. I think yeah. it's Even thing. like looking for jobs, for example, like that also felt like a little bit of a game of like, you need to figure out who are the right people to like go get in contact with. Like what is the best way to go about getting your application through the door or into like the nice little stack where they will uh, accept you for interviews and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up, you just see these rules as rules that had, that are perfect, basically. Like you, everyone should know the things of like, don't speak out of turn, like you raise your hand, you go to this class when the bell rings, et cetera, et cetera. But I think growing up, you, it's like we're, we're trying to learn more of how these rules are built by humans and humans are fallible and systems are fallible. And it's always, there's always potential to change and uproot those systems. It's just really hard to do so. And I think I tell myself that and I re- realize that in a lot of aha moments, but then I'll then e- again revert to like, oh no, like this is a, this is the way that things are done. Like, how do I go about yes. gaming or go playing the game the same way as everyone else? Um, right. Without, and I don't actually realize that that's what I'm doing until I am on the other side, maybe. And I'm like, wait, 
what was I doing the entire time? Like, I definitely <laughs> felt that way with college, like applying to colleges. Like, I felt like everyone was trying to do the right things, like the checklist of A through Z of like trying to do all the extracurriculars, getting all the good grades, like doing all, doing the community service. And I just, I just felt like I had to do everything possible to make my application look really great. But mm. in the end, like, but then on the other side, I'm like, no, it's, it's, we have to remember to not idolize, I guess, these names. And we have to remember to not idolize people either. And remember that it's all about fit. And remember that, hey, like, you getting into this, you not getting into this university probably just meant it wasn't going to be a good fit for you anyway. Like things like, like trying to re- reconcile those differences and those cognitive dissonance that would have originally been like, oh, I'm a failure. Like, I didn't I I am not competent enough to have gotten into that school in the first place. For sure. I think that just applies to so many things. Like I was just realizing the other day that I have the tendency to idolize people really easily. Like mm. t- especially people I find like online or I see o- over media. And I need to remember that they're also just humans and they're also just trying to figure it out themselves. Yes. 100%. Every, and it's very wise of you to like recognize that. And, and it's, it's easier said than done, even if you're conscious and aware of that, that truth that we're mm-hmm. all just humans, that Barack Obama is just a human. I mean, I think he's an excellent human, but he's just yeah. human. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and to bring all of ourselves back to earth and recognize yeah. the value and the, the humility in all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that we're, we're, there's this, this constant game of comparison. And to a degree, I do think that there's some utility in it. There's, it's good to be inspired by other people and to see what others are doing. What's possible? What's a better way? How can I optimize my process? Hey, how can I be a better learner? Hey, what question should I ask that I maybe I'm not asking? It's good to be mm-hmm. curious and to use other people as, goals or benchmarks. I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with that. I think that's how we've progressed Mm -hmm. as a human race. Yeah. And also on the flip side, if you let it become obsessive and it becomes something that you use against yourself, Mm -hmm. um, it can very easily become something toxic, you know, too much of Mm -hmm. anything good, too much water is toxic, right? There needs to be a balance. And when, you're younger and, and life is still in a lot of new, different ways new to you. And you're learning and adapting at a very rapid pace before you can mm-hmm. like rest on any sort of laurels and be like, Oh, I already know how this goes. You don't have that. So, mm-hmm. um, I think what those advice, the advice that I feel like I gleaned from life experience that I would relay back to my 20 year old self is, you know, take it in stride. You don't have to like go to the umpteenth degree right off the bat and you don't have to beat everybody and you are going to figure it out. And it's not that mm-hmm. big of a deal, even though everything feels intensified and dire and yeah. kind of like everything's at stake. It really is. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I think I always look back on like five years ago, like at any point in time, I look back at five years ago and I'm like, wow, that was so stupid. That was so silly. Why was I so worried about all of this? And why did I think this was so serious? And then whatever I'm worrying about right now, I'm going to see in five years and be like, why was I worried about this in the first place? <laughs> so I totally relate to that. That's a wise, that's wise. That's a smart brain. And then also just acknowledging that thing was so hard at that time to teach you something really important to teach you Mm -hmm. that you can, you can survive that. I think my drama that I went through, it was incredibly traumatic in a lot of ways. And it also really gave me so much substance as, as me, Minji Chang, right? Mm -hmm. It gave me 
um, a lot of insight into myself, into other people. I got to stare evil in its face and like <laughs> have to deal with that. And that gave me a tremendous amount of strength in my, mm-hmm. in me that, mm-hmm. um, I feel like I'm grateful I can lean back on. And I've gone to the edge in my thirties, like being pushed to an edge where I don't feel like I can take it anymore. And I yeah. don't think I, I, I have the strength to like take Literally, it sounds very dramatic, but I have felt that. Like, I I don't want to get up tomorrow. I just don't. I want it all Mm -hmm. to stop. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's why you go through hard things. And I think they build on on each other to remind you of your ability to survive and your ability to thrive. And I think that's very applicable right now that I with the utmost empathy and love want to send out to all of the 20 year olds or all the, all the everybody who's graduating right now. I cannot imagine for me, like if we were to launch me back to being a college senior and having a very lofty idea of what I wanted to do in terms of goals and ambitions and literally have the entire freaking world flip upside down on me. Yeah. I can Mm -hmm. imagine feeling a lot of different kinds of things yeah um and being very fearful of like what that uh what that involves and what that means for me mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know there's an altruistic way you can look at it well like what do you think about yourself you have a college degree think about society well you're a member of society it's fine it's yeah. like valid mm-hmm. to feel like what's gonna happen to me what's gonna happen to my life mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and personally i felt that in my quote-unquote selfish ways about like oh my gosh we're social distancing like I'm in my mid thirties. Am I going to be able to have a family? Like literally about dating, mm-hmm. about my future and how I'm going to connect with others. And, yeah. and like literally family planning for me has been something I didn't even want to admit to myself being scared about, but mm-hmm. it's been there. And I'm being a little bit more open about it now because I'm <laughs> allowing myself to be scared. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, to go back to the original point, which is, I, th- I want to just vocalize that my heart does go out to college graduates that, um, it, it is certainly reasonable and understandable to be scared. Yeah. And then on top of that, in, on top of being concerned and feeling all mama bear about it, I'm also really excited. Like, honestly, I, I have so much faith I'm sorry. I have so much faith in the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I have like been disappointed by my own generation and also inspired by my own generation, I feel the same. Like every generation can crap all over their own and about and about the one that came before them. Yeah. And they can also crap on the one that's to come saying, "Oh, they're stupid, they don't know." I don't look at it that way. There's good and bad in every generation, but I think the mm-hmm. one that you're in town, my brother's generation and the one after Holy crap. I'm, I, it's no pressure, but I'm putting hella pressure. I have (laughs) so much, uh, faith and excitedness, excitement. God, there's words are hard. Excitement for (laughs) the creativity and the resilience and the freaking enthusiasm and the smarts and the innovation that's going to come out of this. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I believe in people. We are survivors. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, once we get past all the emotions and the the fear and the anxiety and the self-doubt and all those things that are just part of being a human being, mm-hmm. yo, I yeah. think we are just so capable, you know? Yeah. I, I'm so excited too, but I also don't want to forget about all of the hard work that previous generations have done. Like 
honestly, like seeing all the work you've done, Minji, with like collaboration and all the work you've done with like the Asian American entertainment industry, I feel like it was so foundational for an open, probably opened just so many doors for people to get to where they are at even today. And mm-hmm. I don't want to discount all the work that those those folks like you have done for sure because the only way that I can do the work that I'm doing and that I have like the courage for example to like go to film school and stuff is because I've have figures like you who have shown me that it is possible so thank you oh that means mm-hmm. so much thank you and it's <laughs> it's a good rem- I I really 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 truly appreciate that and because it, it, everything any kind of work that people do and why they do it can get lost really easily. It gets lost in the noise and all the, Mm -hmm. all the stuff that we're dealing with. And Mm -hmm. even with, you know, as much smack as I talk about, uh, baby boomers, some of my favorite people in the world are baby boomers, right? Mm -hmm. Like there, there's credit that we can give to every generation. There's like also accountability that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And so I give credit to my generation, like the millennials right now. It's a very Mm -hmm. bizarre feeling to recognize that we're the grownups in, in, in society, in the world right now, because Mm -hmm. that feeling when you're 20 or when you're younger than that, you know, you leave it to the adults. The adults are the ones that are the politicians. The adults are the ones that make the decisions at the company. The adults are the ones that are like handling finances and, you know, all of that stuff. You Mm -hmm. get, you have the luxury of being young and kind of idealistic and new to the whole game. So Mm -hmm. you are, you're not, as accountable because you ain't done nothing yet as much right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. now it's weird for me to be like yo my peers and my my you know alum the people right above me we're the ones running this whole thing Mm -hmm. so it is a very bizarre feeling to be like taking that mantle because it is a very serious thing and when we see the stakes as high as they are recognizing oh this is what we've all were that's what we were all working for. This is what we've been working for is that mm-hmm. ultimately the ball is going to be in our hands and we're going to have yeah. to be the ones protecting humanity by mm-hmm. our decisions and our, by mm-hmm. our, our processes and by our, you know, preparedness and all this stuff. Right. It's, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy feeling. Yeah. And part of me is scared, but I think there needs to be some level of like, <laughs> of caution be like okay yeah. <laughs> well not everyone's equipped there's some dummies in here we need to weed out but yeah. i'm also <laughs> i'm just like relying on my fellow you know s- smart and vigilant and you know well-meaning great people out there of my generation and above to do the mm-hmm. right thing give them credit where it's due because they didn't mess everything up we're all inheriting yeah. some level of mess from the previous everything right and i think that just goes back to what we were saying before about just learning how to own your own decisions like if you learn the sooner you kind of learn that then hopefully the world will be in a better better spot because i feel like if everyone just took the time to own their decisions and reflect on their responsibilities maybe the world will be in a better place you know I feel like, especially with the pandemic, I feel like if, for example, our government took responsibility for the delayed response of Mm -hmm. combating COVID-19, then maybe we would be in a better spot. But alas. (laughs) We are not quite there. Uh, Apparently, that is too much to ask of this current administration. Mm. And and therefore, we got to look that square in the face and figure out, okay, so this is how it's not supposed to be done. Yeah. What can I do moving forward? Exactly including Mm -hmm. how do we then better prepare other people who may be more capable and more reliable 
and have mm-hmm. better values and more integrity to run mm-hmm. this country or or even our county. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's for me, I've learned at every step of the way where different things come into play. Mm-hmm. What matters like for yeah. me, becoming a homeowner with my parents, I didn't care about property taxes the yeah. day before I became a homeowner. I didn't care the day I became <laughs> one. I cared because I was like, this yeah. is my money on the line. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, things become different priorities. And that's also what I would uh, say to my 20 year old self is like, you know, you're going to change a lot. And that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. because I think at 20, I was very, again, I don't take away from the fact that I was idealistic. I think it's good to have ideals and values mm-hmm. and vision, and mm-hmm. then also have some level of awareness, like, Hey, own this. Cause this is how you are right now. And then maybe mm-hmm. next year, maybe six months or maybe 10 years, you're going to be completely different and yeah. just go with that. Cause I think myself, because we had less podcasts maybe, or I don't know, less conversations like this in my my experience as a young person, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was a lot more rigid Mm -hmm. and I was a lot more um, stubborn about hanging on to certain things. And I think accepting that there's a level of fluidity in life Mm -hmm. and being aware of that earlier on could have helped me, but it is Mm -hmm. what it is. I learned what I learned with the technology I had available to me. Mm -hmm. It turned out okay. This is also Mm -hmm. why I'm really excited for the next gen. I think there's a lot of capacity for being very agile and very innovative and being very receptive instead of being like you're a hammer and everything's a nail, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I don't know the fact that you, you're the one that reached out suggesting that we record a conversation like this on, I'm putting that credit on you because it's due. You have a very bright mind. You have so oh, not just a bright you. mind. You have a good heart. You, you care to care. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. That's a very big deal. Yeah. You be- also care to care. Don't oh, forget that. <laughs> girl, I care too much sometimes. This is my this is where my self-care is coming into play of like mm-hmm. I, I I personally need to learn how to calibrate my caring sometimes because this is what I also see in my generation and definitely older, is that we mm-hmm. care about what we care about so much that we don't care to see anything else. That's also mm. a byproduct of that, right? Mm-hmm. That you you become blind. You don't you're not aware that you have blind spots or what they are. So mm-hmm. also an important thing. And we're just all figuring it out. So yeah, I think the world has become so much more interconnected too with like technological advances and like social media, for example. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think what you just said about us, we're all like hopefully we can use this as an outlet to see that everyone has their own flaws and they're on their journeys of embracing their flaws and seeing them as strengths and seeing their journeys as just continuing on rather than waiting for there to be a perfect figure, a perfect version of ourselves. For sure. There never will be. And that's what there will be. (laughs) But I think there's a lot of people out there. You could say like, no, you're pretty great, even though you're not perfect. Like, there's, yeah. there's a lot of mm-hmm. examples of people that are like, regardless, you're, you're dope. Like, and that's, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a really good feeling to have. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I still, I, at the end of the day and just by hair, I still really do have faith in humanity. Um, yeah. Huma- humans are so resilient. Mm-hmm. Like I think about our grandparents' generation, for example, uh, if they were like, for me, my grandparents were in Korea during the Korean war and I'm. I just can't even imagine like 
how much resilience there had to be in order to go through that experience and that hardship. Mm -hmm. And then my parents who like came to America without knowing anything about the U.S. Like I think about that and that always gives me a lot of strength to be like, okay, if they can do it, if they can do that, I can handle a career change, for example. There you go. And that's a good, that's a good recognition of, of your agency and, and the, Mm -hmm. and the, luxuries and privileges and advantages that were given to you. They did that so that you could have that. And and yeah. I think for me, I've struggled personally with feeling guilty that I have it quote unquote easier, right? Than my mm. parents. There's part of me that's like, uh, you know, my mom didn't have the luxury quote unquote of dating. She just didn't. She met my dad. He was her first and her mm-hmm. last. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like that. There's all these points of recognition. And I don't think that's even for like just immigrant kids. I think there's an intensity with a lot of immigrant children who don't yeah. have as much communication with their parents. But even mm-hmm. if they do, you know, it's easy to fall into the guilt trap of mm-hmm. like, oh, well, they gave up all this. They chose mm-hmm. to do what was best for them at the time with what they had. And that's amazing. Yeah. That's something to applaud. And mm-hmm. I no longer want to be kind of shackled down by I need to do right simply because my parents sacrificed. So it's like, I want to do right because I want to do right, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I don't want to have the things I do good in this world be rooted in guilt or, yes, you know, um, mm-hmm. with awareness of like, I do feel like we all have a responsibility to take care of this earth and to take care of mm-hmm. families and our, our, predecessors and our ancestors and to honor them. I think that is an obligation and a duty, but Mm -hmm. it's also an opportunity. It's also like, yo, I have the ability to do all this cool stuff. I have the ability to enjoy life. Like I want to live it to its fullest. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, Tan, the older you get and the older I get, we will continue to see how fast time goes by and how in the bl- I know, blink I, of an eye, honey, you're going to be I, where I, I can am. Already see, I can already see it happening in front of my eyes. Yeah, in a, in a nanosecond, you're going to be where I am. And in a nanosecond, I'm going to be where my parents are. It goes by really, mm-hmm. really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I know right now we're in isolation, so everything feels like a one little, e- eternal <laughs> day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, time is going, and so we it, it's good to recognize that and to honor that and and mm-hmm. cherish it and make the most out of it and and learn what we can you know and just yeah. go and just move forward it's mm-hmm. uh everyone did the best they could and even outside of you know the the immigrant parents that we we love and respect and honor so much you know they're just people too they did the best they could and they were all here for different reasons and also i mm-hmm. see that honestly i i personally want to have more conversations about um, even stuff like white privilege and, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's a lot, I'm not excusing people who abuse white privilege. That's not what I'm saying, but I've seen a lot mm-hmm. in my friends that are not people of color or mm-hmm. different people of color. We have all had our burdens and yeah. we have all had our struggles and generational speaking, this is not to do with even race, but if we want to look at a different data strata, like there are people that lived through the Great Depression and who lived through world wars, who lived mm-hmm. through Holocaust and genocide and like, you know what I mean? And there's there's mm-hmm. perspective that I don't want our generations to feel like we have to like to again be riddled with guilt, but have appreciation for that, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we do live in certain ways, we live a, a cushy life because we don't have the same plight, the same threats 
of Mm -hmm. death and destruction the way that our ancestors did our predecessors but we're dealing with a virus we're dealing Mm -hmm. with our with a virus we are dealing with racism we're dealing with uh class disparities we're dealing Mm -hmm. with uncertainty anxiety depression these are these are our current challenges and they're just different um just as hard too in their own ways yeah they're not to be taken lightly either simply because they're not the Holocaust. And I'm not saying I can't begin to compare anything. Like the Holocaust is just so terrible. And yeah. and and what happened in Asia that I'm still learning about all the the you know colonization and all the murders mm-hmm. and all the rape and all the everything our ancestors, like as Asian Americans that our ancestors dealt with, I'm still learning about those things. Mm-hmm. There's very little that we can ever compare to those heinous of crimes. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. but, and, but it's not to say that what we are currently dealing with on our plate right now in front of us is not dire and that it's not important and that it's not our responsibility to deal with. Yeah. That Mm -hmm. opting for apathy to me, I call BS and I say, no, there's too much at stake that let's not be apathetic. And I know that it's so much that it's so easy to be like, I just don't want to care. I can't like, what can I even do about any of this? It's so much. It feels like so much that you're like, I can't do anything. Yeah. Um, An affirmation a friend shared with me was that he tells himself, he looks at himself in the mirror and says, I am my ancestors wildest dreams. And I think that's just so beautiful because mm. it is again, like it just alludes back to everything you just said, Minji, about how, your ancestors, our ancestors did all this work and went through those hardships so that we can have a better life and that we can be, we can do even greater things that mm-hmm. they couldn't have done in their situations or in their hardships. And mm-hmm. that is to say that life just never, life never gets easier, but there's still so many opportunities to do more and to, I guess, advance humankind and make humankind a more compassionate, loving generation. So. Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. perfectly said. So beautifully <laughs> said, huh? And in in wrapping up our conversation that I, you know, I want to invite you back and I want to have, we will have many more conversations about all the things moving forward. Um, of course. I, I want to, for me, I want to end on a note of encouragement. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a big hug as I'm still sending out to the world. And mm-hmm. also it's a punch on the shoulder of we got this. Like yeah. this is this is uh, a time to shine and mm-hmm. whatever it takes for us to do that, whether that's a mix of like just complete innovation and ambition and forward movement and also tempered with self-care and scaling it back and taking a moment to breathe and like knowing mm-hmm. that we cannot fix anything overnight. All of the I I, uh, I want to encourage everybody out there because I need it to. I'm trust me, yeah. I, it's been hitting me really hard the last several days mm-hmm. and um, just can be a loving reminder that we we can, we will, we're going to survive this. And uh, to what degree we succeed in that is up to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think we started off this episode wanting to talk about generational differences, but I think this just shows that how we are so much more similar than we can ever realize than we actually know. And that just shows that we all have to like work together. We all have to come together as communities of humankind, basically, mm-hmm. uh, to get through all this hardship and to make the world a better place. So. Amen. 
we're in it together for real. Mm-hmm. What I, I jokingly say, whether we like it or not, because it's also facts, like whether we like it or not, <laughs> we're all here together. So yep. let's mm-hmm. try to let's try to make this uh, as pleasant of an experience and least painful. It'd be really great. Mm-hmm. I, that's all mm-hmm. I want. <laughs> yeah, same here. Yeah. But Tom, where can people find more about you and follow your podcast and all the things that you're doing? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram is Tan K-M, D-A-E-U-N-K-M. And my podcast is called Bamboo and Glass. And we're a podcast of two Asian American women who are highlighting perspectives we're sharing. And you can find us at Bamboo and Glass, just spelled out on Instagram and on any podcasting platform you are listening to this to. So thank you. Thank you yeah. for what you're doing, Tan. I'm so proud of you. And congratulations again on getting in film school. Thank you. No, thank you for having me on the on your podcast. It, this was so lovely. And I can't wait to have you on our podcast at some point. I can't wait either. I'm be like, <laughs> oh, I'm like an Ajima on the young people. Oh, my gosh, you're not an Ajima. <laughs> you're the cool Anni. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, well, I'll definitely we'll link up um, Town's Instagram and her podcast in the notes so you guys can all check it out. But in the meantime, I just want to send you guys love again and reminder to social distance and wash your hands and drink <laughs> mm-hmm. water and sleep all the things because uh, care about you want you to be well and thank you to Marvin Yue my audio engineer and producer thank you Marv for holding it down for first of all and thank you for Aquafina for her use of her song Yellow Ranger for the intro and I'm going to switch it up and do someone different for the outro I'm going to do, oh, you know who I need to plug? I'm putting Paul Date in my outro because he is an amazing musician and artist. And I scrapped two episodes that we recorded together because I wasn't happy with the outcome. But anyway, Paul and I will reunite on this podcast. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy his song. Um, but yeah, if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Minjeezy on Instagram. And if you'd like to become a Patreon patron, go to patreon.com slash first of all podcast to become a financial backer and join our weekly Google Hangouts. Um, they have been keeping me alive and sane throughout all of this madness and I'm also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective which is a collective of Asian American podcasters and storytellers and check out all the other amazing stories and content that's being put out there but thank you again Tan for being such an amazing guest thank you Minji it was so great to be here yeah it was wonderful and I hope everybody out there take care of yourselves be well and I'll talk to you all soon bye bye To the bridge Who cares if I get burned At least I'll feel high If only for a Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. We're the host of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Every month we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a wide variety of genres from contemporary to historical fiction, fantasy to memoirs, and crime thrillers to romance. Some of our past book club picks are Pachinko by Minjin Lee, Sorcerer to the Crown by Zen Cho, and Devotion of Suspect X by Keigo Higashino. We also go over what's new in the Asian American literary world and chat with some talented Asian authors about their work. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com. 
You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective. 